Hi everybody, this is Carol Topp from homeschoolcpa.com back with another podcast episode for you homeschool leaders. I have been devoting the last few podcasts to board and helping your board be better, be better managed, be better run. And this is in conjunction with the release of a new product, a new resource I have for you called the board homeschool board member manual. It's a it's a document, electronic document, kind of a template of a board binder that you should create for your board members. But so it has there in there it has, you know, sample pages of what you want to have in your board binder that you keep important documents and did a podcast on that and what needs to go in this binder. But a lot of the binder is really information on how to run your board better. Um, the articles I have written, some tips and some advice, just things that your board needs to know to run your homeschool group better. You're not doing this by yourself. You need a board to run your homeschool group, so you might as well get them trained. And that's what this episode is about. It's about board training. Board training, not all at once, but all year long. All year long. And I'm going to give you at least, you know, maybe an idea of 12 or so different topics assuming you have monthly meetings, something you can cover at each month to help your board be better. Now, I have belonged to lots of boards. When you're a CPA, you typically get invited onto lots of boards. I've been on boards of my church. I've been on other boards um, in the community, nonprofit boards, things like that. So I take a lot of that knowledge when I am writing and speaking to you about how boards should be run. And one of the first boards I joined, shortly after I I uh, got my CPA license. I got a newsletter from a local uh, nonprofit that my husband and I had supported for a long time. It was a crisis pregnancy center, but they put in their newsletter that they needed a treasurer. So I thought, I'm a new CPA. I'll, I could be a treasurer. <laughs> so I called, and they were very welcome to have me. Here I was already familiar with their organization, the financial support of their organization, and I became their board treasurer. And it was great training for me because their um, their executive director, basically the head honcho, had an accounting background. So she was fabulous at training me basically how to be a good treasurer. But one thing this organization did and did very well was they had a board manual that they gave at the beginning. They also had a board retreat, typically over uh, the summer when people were a little more available. But it could be any time of year. Um, before they kicked off their new year, and they kind of ran their program more like on a school year basis. But they would have, they would set aside a day. Typically, you would give up a Saturday or sometimes a, you know, a Sunday afternoon and evening or something like that for a board retreat. And they did lots of planning, lots of training, and lots of getting to know the board. And that was great. And I have been on other boards since. I've been on the board of American Heritage Girls. They uh, typically would do a two-day retreat. You would take a weekend. We typically go to like a Boy Scout camp or a, or get away um, to a lodge or something like that. And we would do lots of goal setting for the year. But we also would usually bring in somebody to do board training. You might want to think about that. Board training in a retreat. The retreat could be a few hours or the retreat could be an overnight if you really want your board to gel. It's fabulous. But if not, well then take my suggestions one at a time and you know consider doing a little bit of board training in each of your meetings. So this list of these topics for your board um, are available in the homeschool board member manual which you can find over at homeschoolcpa.com. But I'm going to 
go through them just to at least give you an idea in this podcast of what kind of things you might want to think about when training your board or uh, when having a retreat. Uh, number one, the first uh, the first idea is to obviously welcome new board members. Give them a, a history of your organization. Give them your purpose. If you have a mission statement, talk about that. Uh, give them an understanding of their duties, and I list board member duties in the board member manual, and then give them the board binder. And typically, the secretary is the person who assembles the board binder because she's the keeper of the paperwork. And you can certainly use my board member manual template as an example. This template is uh, downloadable as a Word document, so you can, you know, tweak it to to uh, customize it. Is probably what I should say for your organization. You can print off as many copies of the board member manual as you would like, but um, I don't want you to share the electronic file or the Word document, please. Just uh, buy one copy, um, put it on your hard drive, and print it off for your board member. But please don't share the electronic file. And thank you for honoring my copyright in that. Okay, so um, this also, uh, when you welcome your board member, your new board member, and give him a manual, or her, give him or her a manual and go over the purpose, the history of the organization. Also pull out your bylaws and, and maybe read over those and review your mission and your purpose statement. Actually, the mission and the purpose statement of your organization should be reviewed maybe at every board meeting. Put it on the top of your agenda so that everyone is always reminded of what your mission is. And that keeps you focused on that mission. Pretty early on, maybe not at that new meeting, but if you're doing this as a retreat, right after introducing new board members and giving them their binders and going over the, the history and the mission of the organization, you would discuss programs and activities. Now, uh, you could also discuss this uh, probably in the space of one board meeting, but go over what new what activities do we do? That's how you're uh, acclimating or, or orienting new board members, but what new ones do we want to add? And if we want to add new activities, are we going to stop doing something, or are we just going to get more volunteers to run the new activities? So discuss new programs and new activities. That's number two. Okay, number three. If you're like most homeschool organizations, you're run by volunteers, and you wanted to talk about how you can show appreciation to these volunteers, that's what I think you should discuss uh, at a board meeting or during part of your board retreat. How are we going to show appreciation to these volunteers? Uh, I discussed this at... Actually, uh, a whole chapter is devoted to how you can thank volunteers in my book on paying workers in a homeschool organization. And I have some suggestions like giving them tangible gifts or insignificant uh, gift cards. But be careful about your appreciation getting too extravagant because it can look like taxable income. Uh, be careful about giving too big a discount. A lot of, a lot of homeschool groups like to give discounts to their, to their um, volunteers which is lovely, but be careful it's not too significant because it can look like you're actually paying them, paying them taxable compensation. So avoid that kind of stuff. Keep it reasonable. Um, if you give them tangible gifts, that's that's better. That doesn't look like taxable income. So talk about how you can appreciate volunteers. What intangible things can you give them? Lots of, of course, encouragement and, and words of appreciation and things like that. Um, if your board members, who obviously serve a lot too, want to have some discounts or benefits, you need to discuss how you can do that appropriately. The board cannot vote itself any benefits. So something else needs to be done, right? Uh, you need to have a compensation committee set up, or you need to take a membership vote or something like that. 
but discuss how you can appropriately appreciate the board members who work hard as well. Okay, let's go on to number four. My idea on number four is your best practices to avoid fraud. I give you some uh, lists, some ideas of how to avoid fraud, or maybe you're not so worried about fraud, but just mistakes in the finances and in the money management. But I'm sorry to say embezzlement really does happen in homeschool groups. I don't like it, but it does. So there are some best practices you can put into place to avoid mistakes fraud or embezzlement and you should go over them as a board and you should this they're also contained in my book called money management in a homeschool organization and you can look at that list and you can add changes as needed and some of these changes might need to be done by the treasurer some of them might need the rest of the board to step in and, and have some oversight of the finances that was my fourth month of your uh, homeschool of your homeschool board member meetings and the things you might discuss as you go through how about another one? You're maybe in the middle of the year now, or maybe uh, if you if you start these meetings over the summer, you, you've now begun your programs and you're in the early start of the school year. Let's talk about fundraising techniques. You know, uh, what can we do to raise more money without charging our families more? Uh, there are some very simple fundraisers like Box Tops for Education, or sometimes um, uh, you know, just asking, asking for donations. If you're a 501c3 tax-exempt organization, you can ask for donations, and it can be tax-deductible to your donor. And so there's some creative ways to do that uh, fundraising. I have some ideas over on my website. If you go to homeschoolcpa.com uh, to the blog and put in the word fundraiser, I have a couple of ideas out there to help you. Then the sixth idea, or maybe in the sixth month of your board meetings, you're probably up and running, and you're probably feeling uh, a little busy, and this would be the time to think about committees, to authorize committees, somebody to hand the work off to who isn't a board member but you think could do a small job, and decide what those committees might be, and then recruit members and delegate responsibilities to them. And so uh, a, a good committee would be fundraising committee, or if there's a big event you plan, sub that off to a committee. The, the, main board does not have to plan graduation or, you know, the um, end of year show and tell or whatever kinds of things that you do. Field trips, you should have a field trip committee or at least one person who does and manages field trips. And so, you know, authorize these committees. Find out what people are out there that can help run your program. You should not do it alone and the board should not be doing everything. You should have committees. Okay. Now, months seven, eight, nine are kind of like reviewing your policies. Okay, do you have a conflict resolution policy? This is this is how you solve conflicts within your group. If you don't have a policy, I'll Google <laughs> find some. Um, there's a really good book called The Peacemaker by a man named Ken Sandy S A N D E, uh, The Peacemaker. Wonderful book to help you resolve conflicts within your organization. And some people are better at it than others, so you might want to read about how to resolve conflicts. That's a little different from what's called a conflict of interest policy. A conflict of interest policy is something your board member should probably have and sign, meaning if I have a personal interest, meaning a financial interest in some decision being made here, like let's say we're going to you know, sell T-shirts and I run a T-shirt printing business and I could stand to benefit if you gave me you know, your business to your co-op, you know, that's a conflict of interest. It, actually, voting yourself benefits is a conflict of interest. So you might want to think about that policy, too. 
Um, another thing is you might want to uh, look at your insurance coverage and your safety policies. Where, where are you guys at risk? Where you're not being safe? Um, and what kind of policies do you need to have to make sure that children are protected? Um, I do have some information in the board member manual about good policies to put into place to, for, to protect children. Uh, you might want to understand the mandatory reporting requirements in your state. Uh, you might want to know and understand how to detect uh, signs of child abuse. Uh, and you could certainly talk to the children's director at any large church, and they can help you with some of these safety policies. And then, or talk to your insurance company. They might have some information about protecting children, protecting your board, and putting into practice good, safe policies. The last kind of policy you might want to look into, and these are like month seven, eight, nine as your board keeps going, but they're very important to discuss and to put on your calendar, put on your agenda. This month, we're going to talk about safety policies. Next month, we're going to talk about this topic, paying workers. Let's pull out our independent contractor agreements. Does any lawyer or uh, experienced person like, like myself as a CPA looked at these? And, you know, are we treating our, our paid workers properly? Should they be employees and not independent contractors? Which, what are we supposed to be doing here? Start with reading my book, Paying Workers in a Homeschool Organization. That will be very helpful to you to understand the proper way to treat your paid workers. And um, don't do something just because the co-op down the street or next door or across town does it that way. That doesn't mean they're necessarily doing things properly. We don't want you to get in trouble. <laughs> okay, so look into paid workers. Okay, so I have given you a whole bunch of stuff already to cover at your board meetings. Probably more than you could cover in one retreat. So this is why I say you might want to discuss some of these things all year long or a little bit at a time. Everything from welcoming the new members to how am I going to show appreciation, what are my committees I'm going to form, what do I do to keep the peace as well as keep people safe. But near the end of the year, as your year is wrapping up, you're kind of looking to next year. You might do this in the last few months of your program year or over the break this summer. But that would be to recruit and nominate and, and perhaps elect, if you hold elections, new board members. So you want to start looking for new board members all year long, actually, but especially as one year ends as you're trying to welcome on new ones. Start looking around. And you should look first to your committee members. If they've done a good job in their committee, they'll probably do a great job on your board. Then your treasurer needs to be working on uh, creating a budget for next year and bringing the budget to the board. And this is kind of funny, but sometimes the board approves a budget and it's the budget for next year when some of the board members won't be there. But, but somebody needs to look over a budget and approve it before the new year starts. And then basically, one month after the end of your fiscal year, you need to be filing some um, forms with the IRS. Uh, if you have tax-exempt status, if you don't, then you're still for filing forms with the IRS to pay your taxes. But you've got to report to the IRS one way or another. And you might have to do some reports to the state as well. The, the form to the IRS that you report is a 990. It comes in different shapes and sizes depending upon how big your organization is. But your board should look over those reports before they get sent off to the IRS or to your state. And I am happy to explain these forms to your board and or your financial statements. If, if your board wants a little training on that, I'm happy to do that. I've done that for several boards and they have found it very helpful to have somebody like me say, hey, 
I can help you understand what you're looking at when you look at a financial statement or look at one of these IRS forms. And we can do that via phone. We can do that via, um, you know, a Skype conference or a, a Google Hangouts or some sort of video conferencing. So I'm happy to do that. You just need to contact me, Carol, at Homeschool CPA. So that is enough for you to cover, right? Okay, I talked about a ton of stuff. And again, you can find this all in the board member manual that I have recently created for boards, homeschool boards, over at homeschoolcpa.com. This list of suggested meeting topics. Again, you might want to put them, many of them, maybe half of them, into a board retreat and do it all in the space of a weekend or a couple hours. Or it might be something you want to tackle one month at a time as your board goes through its annual year. All this is just to help you guys run your organization successfully without stress and without burning out, but to help you accomplish your goal, which is, which is running your homeschool organization and helping people successfully homeschool their children. So I hope this has been helpful to you. If you know where to find me, if you have any more questions, over at homeschoolcpa.com. Thanks for listening, everybody. Homeschool leader, do you feel confused or overwhelmed by the job of running your homeschool group? You're not alone. Carol Topp, the homeschool CPA, is here to help. Carol is an accountant, author, and retired homeschool mom who understands you. Her website has helpful information on co-ops, paying workers, and managing the money in a homeschool group. If you need personalized advice, set up a consultation with Carol. She's happy to discuss your particular situation. Visit homeschoolcpa.com today and get the information you need to successfully run your homeschool group.